everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone doing today? Doing pretty well. How are you? Deflated. <laughs> the Mets, the Mets are just, just bleh. Yeah. Yep. Just bleh. I feel bad for you guys that have to, like, do game recaps and stuff. Uh, those are legit the only games. That, I mean, I also was kind of out on this team in May, so that since then, those are the only games I've watched anyway. But, yeah, it's not, not great. When it gets to the point where it's just a struggle to just even turn the channel, it's not good. Yep. It's 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 challenging. It's like borderline impressive that you can be both this mediocre and this boring simultaneously. Be bad in a fun way. No, they're just bad. Right, that's kind of the the nineteen sixty two Mets, like those early Mets teams that were just like literally the worst team. At least they found new and uh, interesting ways to lose and and. You know, now, not so. I mean, Ian, last year was frustrating. My hot take is that it's more fun to watch a team that can't pitch than a team that can't hit. Yeah, I could, I could say that. Sure, it's just a close loss, Yeah. And like, yeah. it really sucks because if they just played like the Dodgers and the Giants even back to back and then played some bad teams and it would be like whatever, but it's like, Man, they just keep losing one-run games to, like, elite teams, and it's just like, damn. Like, I mean, that's the other thing about this season. It feels anecdotally like the, every game follows the pattern of down early, rally late, lose by one or two runs. Yeah. Because, like, the the the, the dudes who are hitting, like Alonzo and before this little stretch, Nemo was hitting and stuff like that because he's been slumping, like – they would do enough to score, like, two runs, and then the bottom of the lineup would just strike out three times in a row. <laughs> Pete has like, ten home runs since the All-Star break, and, like, eight of them are solo shots, it feels like. And it's all, like, solo shots to, like, cut the lead to two to one while uh Jared Eikhoff's on the hill or whoever, like, <laughs> random dude is pitching that game. You know, like, it just, that's the worst part for me. And what's going to happen is they're going to win a bunch of games against the Nationals and the Marlins and stuff because they're better than them, and we're going to be all annoyed again. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to win against the... Yeah, it's just like if you snuck a few against the Dodgers, like which they really could have, then we'd be in business here. Yep. Well, I mean, like you yourself said, those are elite teams, and you know who else is elite? Oh, Nice. Oh no. Who? I think, I think Thomas knows. Is this a Joe Flacco is elite, uh, joke? No, no, it is not. It is. Oh is my god. CM Punk return. Oh, yes. yeah. Okay. Oh no. We're doing I should have known this was coming. We're wrestling on the podcast. He is all elite. He all is all elite. And he's back. And what a, uh, what a return. So. That makes me think for promote extend trade. What Mets returns would you want to attend? So we'll we'll just place it in order, I guess. You have, I mean, obviously this can't happen now, but um, 
Tom Seaver's return in, you know, 1984, I think it was. You have Mike Piazza's return with the Padres in 2005. And, uh, we have a David Wright return for some point in the future when hopefully he says, hey guys, I have a new artificial and I'm unretiring from baseball, and I'm back. He's got the back of a 21-year-old. <laughs> yeah, David. He's play better defense than J.D. Davis, so. True. True. Uh, I mean, it's just given my age, I'm going with right. Like, I think the historically correct answer is probably Seaver, but yeah. to me it's right. I agree with that. And poor Mike. <laughs> Piazza gets screwed here, but yeah, I was too. Like I was generally aware of Piazza, but too young. Oh, I was definitely into Piazza. It was more just like right as like a homegrown Met, and like Piazza had a lot of good years with LA, and yeah. he's a Met because of like moments and stuff. But also like the Dodgers have a real claim on his legacy, where no one does for Wright. Like he, David Wright, is a Met, and that's it. So that's why. He edges out Piazza for me. And Seaver, like, that's not his fault. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely got, like, the rough end of the deal. Yeah, because he didn't want to get traded or anything. No. As far as I know, I don't remember if he did. Like, obviously I don't remember because I wasn't alive, but I've never heard that he wanted to get traded. I mean, he did want to get traded just to, like, end everything, but... Just because he, he wasn't going to get paid there. Right. It was against his will. It was more like, why are you treating me this way now? I want to get traded. Then like, right? Just like, I'm yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, can't really argue with any of those. I was at the Mike Piazza return game. That was really fun. Yeah, those seem fun. And that series, that whole series, he was like, I only went to one of those games, but he had like three home runs in one of those games. He spanked. Pedro and like still got a curtain call like good stuff <laughs> I remember he had two in one game yeah I remember the first one like I was at home with my parents so we were all happy and the second one we were like all right bud you could like chill out now like <laughs> you don't have to hit the second one you got your point across the first time <laughs> I mean at least it was 2005 and it didn't actually matter yeah imagine yeah. now if that was let's say imagine it was 2007 and Mike Piazza does that in September of 2007 oof He'd get booed out of the stand. <laughs> He's trying to do a curtain call, people throwing shit at him. Uh, legacy gone. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm gonna trade Piazza, even though you know, arguably my favorite Met as a kid, um, solely because he came back and just shoved it in the Mets' face. <laughs> yeah. At least it was on the West Coast, so it was like one series a year for the next, yeah. like two years, three years, whatever. And then he went to Oakland, and I don't yeah. think he even played him when he was on the A's. I didn't realize until recently. I mean, like I said, I was I didn't really care much about baseball until 2006 because I was young. And yeah, uh, point being, I didn't realize that. Piazza was still playing while the Mets were in the playoffs in 2006, so he could have feasibly been on that team, which would have been wild. I know Leduca was great for them, but 
Piazza was still probably the better player at that point. He couldn't really catch anymore, though. Like, yeah. like the defense would have been a real issue, I think, at that point. Because he was never, like, a gold glover anyway, like, even in his no. prime. He was solid back there and a good framer with, like, no arm. But I think at that age, like, you really would have had... He would have basically had to take a backup role, I think, and really uh not played a lot. And then at that point, I don't know why he would want to do that, you know? Yeah. Unless he's just really just... I want to be a Met and that's it. But like, if the Padres are like, "Hey, live in San Diego and start and play a lot," then I'd be like, "Sure," you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Oakland, he DH'd, which is a Sandy Alderson signing, which is hysterical to me. That's but, very Sandy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now moving on, um, MLB prospect pipeline. They updated their midseason top 100 and. Mm-hmm individual team prospect list and now that they've done that all of the big three um sources mlb prospect pipeline baseball america baseball prospectus they are all done with their mid-season updates so francisco alvarez um is basically the mets top prospect universally recognized at this point on the mlb list he's prospect number 10 in all of baseball on the baseball america list he is prospect number 15 and on the baseball prospectus list he is prospect number 11 uh brett Beatty, another big gainer on the mob list he is the 49th best prospect in all of baseball that's um, too low baseball america list he is the 61st best prospect in all of baseball what? And yeah. on the baseball <laughs> prospectus list, he is the 16th best player in all of minor league baseball. Well, BA and uh, MLB.com are wrong. Uh, I think it's a combination of they're a little too low and BP is a little too high, but average it all out. and, and, and it's Yeah, that's about right. Uh, Ronnie Mauricio on the MLB prospect pipeline list he is 58 in all of baseball on the baseball america list he is 66 and on the baseball prospectus list he is 40 and then in addition to those guys baseball america also ranked mark vientos at 91 um mlb they didn't rank him in their top 100 and baseball prospectus didn't go 100 deep they only went 50 but he would not have been in their top. Probably not. I don't think so either. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, that's a pretty strong top couple guys. Now imagine if you had Kumar Rocker in the 40s on all these lists. Yeah, yeah. Too soon. Um, well, MLB, yes. and, and, MLB um, and, and Baseball America, they both took into account the 2021 draft. The BP list came out before the draft. Um but yeah, I mean, doesn't really matter to the Mets because they fucked that up to holy hell. They, you know, they took the player that everyone and their mother knew had some kind of issue, and then decided not to sign him because he had some kind of issue. And there are plenty of guys they could have picked if they had problems with that issue that would have been ranked. Brady House. On the MLB list. Oh, he I'm gonna be so salty forever about the fact that they went Rocker instead of House and then didn't I, even sign Rocker. I know. 
House is ranked 60 on the MLB list and 87 on the Baseball America list. That seems a little aggressive, but okay. Uh, you want to talk about aggressive? Khalil Watson was also ranked 28 what? on the MLB list. <laughs> wow, really? And 28? <laughs> okay. 87 on the Baseball America list. Another guy that was available, Sal Frelick. He was ranked 96 on the MLB list. Sure. And our old friend Matt McLean was ranked 98. They ranked Matt McLean? Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> right. So, we're, we're, uh, I mean, obviously, Kumar Rocker is not here because he did not sign with any teams, but... Where would, would you think, think he would top fall? 50. Yeah. Um, right around 50, I'd say. Yeah, that's my guess. Um, like high 40s to 50. Honestly, I think he might be in like the 20s, 20s or 30s, low 30s. So, it, if he actually did have an injury thing, I think that would ding him a little bit. Yeah, depending on the injury, but on pure talent, who are the best pitching prospects in baseball? Shane Boz... Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, he's definitely behind those dudes. I, I believe that, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe they put Jack Leiter at like 16. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not yeah. a Max Mayer dude, but whatever. Luis Patino is still up there, George Kirby. He's not as good as Lodolo. He's not as good as Cavalli, I don't think. If Cavalli's healthy, maybe not as, maybe right around Reed Detmers-ish. And Detmers was, Maybe a little lower than Detmers, because Detmers has done it uh, professionally and improved significantly this year. But eh, I would say, like, low 30s, or I should say high 30s, because lists are reverse order, and I'm an idiot. So high 30s. Yeah, I think 40 is about right. So, man, that would, I mean, we know just, we, we know better than most, I guess, how... Much of a paper tiger the system is. Very fierce at the top and then just kind of very, very empty once you get past, you know, six at this point, really. Seven. There's been a couple tweets I've seen about comparing the Mets deadline to, say, the Braves, who have surged, obviously. Um, And the Braves made a bunch of minor moves, gave up almost nothing to do it, but but improved around the edges, which is something you can usually do at the trade deadline. The yeah, they got have, major leaguers. <laughs> right, the Mets just didn't have marginal prospects that any other team gave a shit about, and then therefore they couldn't do anything. But I would say, I don't think that would have really... The only way to change that is to draft better. Like, even with the trades Brody made, like he traded a top guy in Kalenic, you know, if he's still here... And oh, they signed no, I'm, yeah, this like, is just a commentary on the system. Overall. Oh, okay, I got you, I got you, I got you. Like, like they just nothing. have work to do, <laughs> you know? Oh, yes, they do. Were you able to help that, uh, uh, Kumar Rocker? Oh, sure, like, yeah. that doesn't mean don't sign the top talent and really just go, like, six or seven deep instead of, like, three or four deep, but they you would still have would have Brady House if they had problems with Kumar Rocker. <laughs> Maybe Khalil Watson if they thought that they had problems with Kumar Rocker. Yeah, like they, or, or even Sal Relic or Matt McLean. Or they could have just protected it better with a prep arm that nobody expected to sign because of a strong commitment. Like, or they could have just not been assholes and signed Kumar <laughs> Rocker. But uh, that's that's 
I mean, we were, we were positive last week, so let's try to keep that positive trend going. <laughs> um, I, I will also, I just want, I know I kind of made a what comment about this already, but I do think those Beatty rankings are way too low. Especially the B like sixty one, that's insanely low. Sixty one's low. He's definitely higher. I think he's very comfortably in the top thirty, and that MLB and BA to have him well below that is kind of surprising to me. I mean, I can say with uh, personal authority that I know that Baseball Prospectus has gotten eyes on Beatty more recently than those other sources, which more or less rely on third party. Reports, uh-huh. so yeah, I would err closer towards the BP um, opinion than the other two, most definitely. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they're also like those sites are similarly a little aggressive on Alvarez, like five and what what was it, five or something? Was Ten, baseball? I think. Ten, like Ten. that's wild. Like that's a lot for him. Well, BP right. has him at eleven, so yeah, like. I don't know. It's that feels a little high to me, like a little bit, like maybe like two or three spots, four spots, but then I'm like playing with semantics there, you know. Like here's the crazy thing about the BP list because hey, you think that's high for a prep catcher? What is essentially a prep catcher, right? The IFA catcher, whatever. Uh, Tyler Soderstrom is 14th. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I mean, Soderstrom is much like less likely to catch than. Uh, Alvarez, I'd say, so that that factors in. But it's crazy that that the Mets have a teenage catcher who kind of belongs this high because that's yeah. not usually yeah. a profile you want to pump or or invest in to this degree. And that's probably it's me like past prep catchers who've burned teams before is probably in way too much in my head than I would like to admit about him. But that's not really fair to Alvarez either. You know, yeah. like I can't. Like, you have to think about past experiences like that, but also he's not them. Like, he's not that player. Yeah, he, the offensive ceiling here is way, way higher than your average. Yeah. And the defense isn't bad. Like, I don't think he's going to yeah. be, like... It, it's almost like a catch-22, because I feel like with a lot of the, like, guys who are not really catchers, it's always like, yeah, well, he can go play first or something. He's he, he's, he's a bad catcher because he's big, or he's not uh, athletic, um, Alvarez is five foot eight, and that might be generous. Yeah, so no, I don't he's, know. He's got a an oompa uh, oompa 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 <laughs> shape. <laughs> Tell them I hate them. The future armature of France will get that. Um, so the defensive. My point being though, the defensive fallback for Alvarez is I don't know where because there aren't a lot of five foot eight first basemen. Mm-hmm. I guess you throw him in left field and hope. Excuse me, are we forgetting about Pablo Sandoval, who's a little taller? Pablo than Sandoval's foot. taller than five foot eight, and I also mean, he's five ten, so not really. Alvarez might be like five six. Hey, yeah, yeah. But, uh, Alvarez, five eight is aggressive. Yes, yes. I'm just, I'll, I'll just say that I'm five six, and Alvarez is indeed taller than me. So uh, okay, okay. Yes, we have a we have a floor here. <laughs> he, is still, we, he is he is one point something Steve's high. Steve, uh, Steve is our <laughs> new measurement of height. Um, he is yeah, negative, uh, he's negative one Steve in terms of uh, baseball skill, though. Uh huh. Uh huh. 
Well, the point being, like, uh, Beatty, not, not poo-pooing the ranking or anything, but, uh, excuse me, Alvarez, very good. Just that concern exists in my head, so. Yeah. I wouldn't have traded him for a Chris Bryant rental, so. Oh, no, no, no. It's always, that, it's just, like, can they stick a catcher and also hit is always a concern for me, no matter who it is. Like, because if more kids could do that, then there'd be more good catchers. Like, there's just not a lot of them, <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, so are. if the Mets actually have one, I'd be like, oh wow, that's a literal rare. I thing. mean, we're here, we're here talking about Mike Piazza and Paul Laduca. They literally haven't had. That's not true. They had Travis Darno, who I'm still salty they threw away because I loved Travis Darno. Yeah, Travis um, was good, especially in '15 when they went to the World Series because and and he's really good now when he's on the field, which has basically always been what Travis is. My point is they've never, their catching situation for the last decade and a half, basically since Piazza has been, eh. I mean, yeah, it's so hard, man. Josh Tolley like that. Josh Tolley. Friend of the show. The great Mike Nickius. Yeah. The non-elite prospect, Mike Nick, that's a non-elite prospect, Mike Nickius to you. (laughs) It's because it's such like it's such a competitive advantage if uh, the Mets actually have if if Alvarez is what we all think he could be and is like a legit offensive weapon at catcher because it just doesn't exist on most teams. Like you'll yeah. have that when you li- when you put the lineup side by side, you'll be like advantage catcher because almost every other team is like trotting out someone who either hits or can't play defense or vice versa. That's why he's such a unicorn. And it's why it's so fun to think about him, like, yep. in the future and stuff. Obviously, Alvarez, the, the steps forward that Alvarez has take, that Beatty, Mauricio, uh, you know, Fientos, all those guys have taken forward are a major reason why, you know, the, the system has as many wins as it has, which is not really a lot, unfortunately. Um, they're not the only players who have improved, though. Um, so there are going to probably be uh, a lot of new names on our 2022 prospect list. Recently cut Tim Tebow is making his... Um... Oh, hell yes, we'll get to I thought I, I thought he signed with another team already or something, but I, don't, I, did, I haven't been paying attention because I can't say I care. Uh, first, let's check in on how the affiliates did this week, and then we will, um, after the commercial break, we'll, we'll talk about some of these new faces that we might be seeing that are contributing to some of the some of the few wins that this, the teams this year are uh, getting, unfortunately, far and few in between. So first up, the Syracuse Mets. And there was a lot of rain in upstate New York at the beginning of the week. And one of their games against the Buffalo Bisons got canceled outright. But they were able to get everything else in. And Syracuse went 3-2 and two in those games, bringing them to 37-56 and 56 on the year. 19 and a half games behind the first place Bisons. Binghamton Rumble Ponies, just like Syracuse, had some rain in the forecast. And that screwed with their schedule. So they only got five of their six games in against the first pace, uh, Sea Dogs last week. And they also went three and two, which leaves them at 43 and 50, which is 12 games behind Portland. 
Brooklyn had a pretty bad week. They went one and four against the Hudson Valley Renegades, and then they had one game delayed because of the hurricane. And that leaves them at a pretty disappointing 35 and 58, which is 24 games behind first place. And last but not least are the St. Lucie Mets. And they went two and four this week against the terrible tongue twisting Tampa Tarpons. And St. Lucie has been slumping the last couple of weeks. They are, uh, three and seven in the last ten games. And the Jupiter Hammerheads have gone six and four. So St. Lucie's lead has actually shrunk to just one game. And St. Lucie and Jupiter, they play each other, um, once for a series at the end of August and beginning of September, and then again at the end of September. So those will uh, be some exciting games with playoff implications. All right, so we were just talking about, you know, some of the new names that we probably will see on, like, 2022 top prospect list. Uh, I just kind of quickly jotted down some names after Alphabetical order. I think it basically captures most of of the guys that I think we might be putting into consideration for somewhere on the top twenty five list next year. If there's any guys that I might have forgotten, obviously at the end, you know, bring them up and we can discuss them. Uh, first guy though is right-handed pitcher Jose Budo. Currently has a three fifty ERA. And in 87.1 innings split between the Brooklyn Cyclones and the Binghamton Rumble Ponies with 51 hits allowed, 19 walks, and 97 strikeouts. And Budo reminds me, I mean, we've talked about him before, um, but he reminds me a lot of Corey Oswald back then. That, that was exactly what I was thinking, Steve. Corey Oswald energy. Mm-hmm. The numbers were impressive when you when you saw it on the on the baseball reference stat line. I think that year Corey Oswald had like a two eighteen ERA or something like that. But when you look behind the curtain, there's just a whole lot of blur. And I saw Budo a lot, and I just see a lot of blur. I think he's better than Corey Oswald. He is. I I, I think he's a better version of. That. Yeah, but ultimately. Uh, excuse you, that's Corey Oswald, future elite multi-inning reliever. Uh, if Paul Seawall could do it, then why not? But, you know, Budo's, Budo has a little bit more velocity to his, to, to his fastball as opposed to Oswald's, and his changeup is a better-than-average pitch, and I don't think that Corey Oswald had anything that was better than average. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a... a, a Average right-hander, average velocity for a right-hander, and a uh, better-than-average changeup. That's not really enough of an arsenal to succeed as a as a starter. Maybe as a receiver, but basically, right now, you know, uh, 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 he's basically spamming his his uh, changeup as a a alum. Who's now with BP? Jeffrey Padnastro has, you know, attested to like a, a week or so ago when he saw him. He basically is just succeeding on in, in Double A with the changeup, and that's really probably not a path to success long term as a major leaguer. But hey, you know, you, you can probably know. fake that for an inning. Yeah, like, in the bullpen. 
I like, think he could be like a low leverage middle yeah. reliever. Yeah. You'd also think someone along the way would be able to teach him a shitty little slider or cutter thing that would work as a reliever. Like maybe it's not a starting caliber third offering, but just well, a he he has a, a curveball as his, as his third offering as a starter, but it's just like a very loopy like high seventies, low eighties kind of. Bleh. Get me, over get me over a little thing. That's I'm fun. sure like someone's got to just teach him one of those grip it and rip it little slider cutter things, and maybe that works a little better. But teach him, teach him a gyro ball. Teach him a <laughs> teach him a knuckleball while we're at it. Yeah, you know why? Why not? Just something out of left field. Like you won't huh. see that one coming. All of a sudden, he uncorks a screwball. All right. So the next guy who might get some consideration, is outfielder Blaine McIntosh. He's currently hitting 182, 333, 318, and 92 at-bats with the Florida Complex League Mets. When your line starts with a 1, that's not great. No, it's it's not. Um, But it is 92 at-bats. Obviously, the FCL season starts pretty late. Uh, Mets signed him in 2019. I think it was literally... On the day of the signing deadline, he was selected in the 13th round. He had a commitment to Vanderbilt. The Mets were able to get him to break, and it was kind of exciting. He wasn't, like, a high-profile fallback guy in case Allen didn't sign like Hunter Barra was, but it was an interesting, you know, he's an interesting player, exciting profile. Obviously, you know, if you're getting recruited by Vanderbilt and you're getting into the baseball program, you've, you've got something to you. So it was yeah. cool to see the Mets able to win, I guess, would be, I don't I mean, maybe it's not the best word, but the Mets... They got him out of a, it's a draft got him out of a real commitment. Like, yeah. Vanderbilt is, like, a legit powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah. School. It's not like he went to some JUCO or some small school that I would rather go pro in. Like, that's a legit <laughs> program, so... They couldn't get him to uncommit from Hollywood upstairs baseball, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like... But, you know, um... He's got a nice left-handed swing. It seems more line-drivey than Homer uh, at this point, but that works because he's got a v- above-average speed. You know, nothing wrong with doubles, and he's probably never going to be like a slugger, slugger. Center field defense was was solid in high school. Obviously, you know, it was high school outfielder center field defense, so there are many, many ways it can improve. Um, but you know, he's, he's basically Pete Crow Armstrong at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of. Can we can we have Pete Crow Armstrong? We have Pete Crow Armstrong at home. <laughs> I wish we could have real Pete Armstrong back. Pete yeah, Crow Armstrong. Me too. But yeah, he got some Macintosh got some back end consideration in our list last year. Um, the system is a bit thinner this year, so being twenty six to thirty last year might wind up. 20 to 25 next year. Uh, another player might be in, in consideration is outfielder slash infielder slash unknown Carlos Cortez. No, but yes, but no. <laughs> Pretty I don't much. Want, I don't want to. <laughs> That's my, my opinion on the matter, but he might end up getting hitting himself out of out of contention here because he's currently hitting 265, 325, 502 in 71 games with Binghamton. 
13 homers, 27 walks, 76 strikeouts. And he started the year really hot, but he cooled down in a major way last uh, last month in July. His batting average dropped about 20 points. He only hit three home runs the entire month. Um, and as we know, he is very much a bat-only player. And he's he's down to 265 already, so I don't know. He's got to hit a lot better than that for me to care. Yep, agreed. Yep. Um, next guy is right-hand pitcher, pitcher Levi David. He's a, a new addition to the system. He was drafted in 2021 out of Northwestern University. He's a senior. Um, he only spent one full year basically at Northwestern. He transferred from a JUCO in his first two years, and then COVID canceled 2020. So in his one year there, he was only so, so successful. Uh, he suffers some control issues that'll, that'll probably doom him in the long run because honestly, I can't think of the last guy who did get his control issues straightened out as a Met. Maybe Zach Wheeler. And that was like five plus years ago. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, he has some control issues, but he has an exciting fastball and curveball combo. Uh, the fastball sits in low 90s. Solid. Curveball, though, that's where it's all at. It, and it actually might not actually even be a, a curveball. It might be like one of those gyro sliders that has very little uh, horizontal movement. But whatever it is, it's a plus pitch. Maybe even a plus-plus pitch. Yeah, that's good. And it kind of reminds me of Seth Lugo a little bit. As that, you know, as a starter, we didn't really think of him too highly. Um, but he always had that solid fastball and, and plus curve. And then when he got made into a reliever, it was just like, oh, damn, okay, like, that that works. Having yes. that one above-average pitch works, and he kind of fits that profile. And you could be a little wild in a reliever role because, like, you could figure that out for an inning at a time instead of having to, like, do it for five, six, seven. And even if you're a little wild in a reliever role, that doesn't mean you're not effective, you know? Alex Reyes has like 30 saves or whatever. Yeah, like all he does is walk people and no one can hit him anyway because his stuff is ridiculous. Like, and like, it's not like familiar, even peak familiar was super accurate. It was just so nasty and you only had to deal with it for an inning. That I mean, that, that 2015 familiar, the splitter was like mm-hmm. impossible to hit. Yeah, and like, I don't think he really knew where it was going, but it didn't matter. Like, same with Diaz when his slider and fastball are on. Uh, another guy, another new face is right-hand pitcher Dominic Hamill. He was drafted out of Dallas Baptist University in the third round. Um, similar to David, he went to Jugo in his first two years and then transferred to Dallas Baptist and really only played one full season there because of COVID. And the, the service numbers in, in his one full season there this year, so-so. But if you look at the underlying numbers, they're pretty solid. And then if you look at the scattering reports, you know, that's, that's the, that's pretty nice. Fastball, low to mid nineties, pretty standard fare for a right-hander, but has a, a high spin rate. And then the, the curveball and slider, same thing, high spin rates. They tunnel well with the fastball. You like to see it. And then he also has a, a feel for a changeup or whatever. He already has two solid pitches with the curveball and the slider. 
he's a guy that, like, I feel might be overrated going into, might become over overrated coming into, well, she's been going into next uh, year's list just because of how thin the system is. Yeah, people are going to grasp, especially when they're looking for, like, things to write about the 2021 draft. They're going to grasp at things and... Yeah. Which, I mean, whatever. I think he's interesting. If the, if the, if the system was better, he would be a guy that would be in the other players of note section, but might wind up on the actual list just because there's really no one else. But we'll see. Another guy that is probably going to be in that same boat is outfielder Jake Mangum. And I don't want to say that he was viewed as a joke because he was always legitimately good in college. But just based on his profile, the the Mets prospect world never really gave him much of a chance because basically he's an outfield version of Louis Guillaume. He's a guy that made contact, he sprayed the ball all around, but they're basically just singles and doubles and had a lot of defensive value at a, at a important position. But just that lack of real meaningful power put a, a ceiling, a low ceiling on him. And here we are now at the end of August. He's played 66 games in double A, which is generally the, you know, the, the, the line of demarcation between guys that might actually make it and guys that are not. And he's hitting 291, 337, 448, with five homers, stolen, uh, 11 stolen bases, and a 13 to 51 walk to strikeout ratio. And he's been absolutely on fire for the last month. Yeah, he's um, been really good this month. I mean, his BABIP is approximately 3,000, so. <laughs> yeah, for real. In 16 games in August, he's hitting 452, so. That, that, uh, that'll play. But yeah, he just snuck onto the end of our top prospect list in 2020. He was ranked 24, and he went unranked this past season, but probably will be ranked again in 2022. Maybe in a more prominent position than 24, because again, just how thin everything is. Uh, another player, right-hand pitcher Adam Holler. He currently has a 3.70 ERA in 82.2 innings, split between Binghamton and Syracuse, with 68 hits allowed, 30 walks, and 108 strikeouts. And I like Aller a little bit. I certainly prefer him to ranking Mangum and Cortez. <laughs> Believe it or not, his his 108 strikeouts are the most that any pitcher has in this system currently. Which I is, believe it. Yeah. His season started out eh, but. Really, over the last month or so, he, he turned it up a notch. And if you go back uh, a calendar month over his last four starts, he has a 0.36 ERA with nine hits allowed in 24.2 innings. He walked four, and he struck out 43. Those are like uh, not bad. Not bad. That, those are I need a promotion numbers. Yeah. Well, he, he did just get promoted to Syracuse, and yeah. in one start, he struck out 13, so... Okay, you know. Ex- expand that for the rest of the year, and he will... He's got, yeah, his strikeout rate in AAA <laughs> is record-setting. Hell yeah. <laughs> but, um... Even Valine's level numbers, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but he's a name that kind of went under the radars of a lot of people because he was drafted um, by the Mets in the AAA portion of the Rule 5 draft in 2019 and then added into the system. And obviously, there was a lot going on in late 2019 and early 2020, so, you know. But where, did, where was he before this? I have totally forgotten. Just uh, right down the memory hole. Pirates, Pittsburgh. Pirates. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm always interested. I'm always interested to hear where these guys come from to see if it's either a someone that like got squeezed off the roster of a good team, or someone who you could have stolen from a really bad team. Yeah. I I, I could see the Mets have be having successfully pulled one over here on the Pirates. Well, we'll we'll see. Um. He he arguably has been the best pitcher in the Mets minor league system so far this year. But, I mean, that is kind of faint praise because yeah. no one has been really that great. And um, the good guys have been hurt. Like, yeah. Allen missed the year. Ginn has been coming back from his, his um from Tommy John. So If only there was another high-level college <laughs> pitcher that could be heading. Yeah, he would I mean, also he be hurt. Pitched, so, yeah, he yeah, wouldn't he have pitched. He would still so. be the best pitcher in the system. But he would fit in perfectly, you know? <laughs> but yeah, Aller is not necessarily smoke and mirrors, but like, you know, some of the other pitchers we've mentioned and some of the other guys we will mention, like, the total package isn't maybe necessarily well suited for major league success as a starter, but maybe as a reliever. Uh, fastball, you know, sits, sits low to mid nineties, and then he has a couple of secondary pitches, curveball, slider, change that vary from below average to average. And some of these guys, every once in a while, you do get one of these guys that just exceeds with throwing a bunch of random crap, and it works because you keep guys off balance. Yeah, I mean, there is some utility to a guy that just does. Everything, you know, average or so, but just has so many options to work with. <clears throat> I mean, Nabil Prismat has how many innings as a major leaguer now? So. But the Padres, a good team. Well, I mean, they're all hurt and underperforming, but a good team. A talented team, I would say. Talented. Padres and underperforming. Well, we have the Mets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another guy is right-handed pitcher Eric Orzi. Yes. He has a My boy. 357 ERA and 26 relief appearances with Brooklyn, Binghamton, and Syracuse. Um, basically, his time with Brooklyn was good. His time with Binghamton was eh. And his time so far in Syracuse has only been a couple of innings, so it's whatever. But He's good, though. Like, I'm fully on. I think he's a major league pitcher. Yeah, uh, he was drafted in the super short 2020 draft. He was actually 150th player out of 160 overall that were picked, that, that were picked. And today, as we record, it's actually his birthday. So, happy, happy birthday, birthday, Eric. Happy birthday, Eric Orzi. Eric Orzi. yeah. Um, not to be too dark though, but he's pretty lucky that he's actually like celebrating his birthday because He's had some major uh, illnesses. He was the there. cancer survivor, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah. In 2018, That's awesome. he went um, to the University of New Orleans, and when he was transferring, he was it was discovered he had testicular cancer. So he had the surgery removed, 
And then he had to go back to the hospital a couple of days later because fluid was building up in his lungs from the, the, the anesthesia, I believe. Mm-hmm. So while they were taking care of that, they found a mole on his back that was actually melanoma. So, yeah. Basically, with all of that, he basically missed all of 2018 and all of 2019. And then because of COVID, he missed all of 2020. But he's still solid. I remember us talking about him as like a human, not a real prospect. Like, oh, this is just a good human interest story. Cool. Good job for drafting this guy and rewarding him for his hard work and comeback or whatever. And now he's turned into a real arm. That That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Fastballs, you know, against a lot of, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of theme here. Fastball, low to mid-90s, uh, right-hander. Pitches some heavy sink, though. And, yeah, that's where he gets his. Yeah, and his secondary pitches really play into that with a splitter and a slider. They're both kind of average-ish pitches, but just everything plays so well together because everything tunnels well and he just sequences things well. You know, either it's a, a mid-90s fastball, some sink, uh, a mid-80s slider with a, a little bit more sink, or a mid-80s splitter with a ton of sink. You know, so the ball is the, the vertical. Movement of the ball is is very variable and a lot of swings and misses because of that. And he wants to be so annoying to face. Like, yeah, probably. Like, like he's not gonna like overpower you and be like, oh man, this is just hard. It's probably you're up there and you're just a little pissed off the entire time. I mean, like, it's the type of really that pisses you off as a fan because you watch the stuff. You're like, man, why can't my guys hit this? Yeah. <laughs> and they just keep beating it into the ground or swinging over it. His control is pretty good too. He's he only has eight walks in total in forty point one innings. So well, that's, that's otherwise he'd be getting hit out the park. Like yeah, I mean he the one thing with him is that he is a little too hittable because the stuff is you know nothing is particularly great. So he does have to live in the zone a little bit too much. But I mean it's he's been succeeding. So and obviously in a developmental system he will. Hopefully, continue getting better. So, mm-hmm. it's what you definitely like to see. I'm definitely a fan of his, though. I think same. He's gonna make major league innings. I don't <laughs> know how high leverage, but he'll be up there. He'll what be. Kind of monster could root against him. Pencil him in for the seventh inning and don't sign any relievers. Got it. <laughs> nice. And do another guy is third baseman Jose Peroza. He is currently hitting 268, 389, 432 in 80 games with St. Lucie and Brooklyn. Most of that. Can I just say, if Jose Peraza is still on the roster next year, I refuse to rank Jose Peraza. I, <laughs> I will not. I will not deal with this. Hopefully, Jose Peraza is not on the roster. I like Jose Peraza a little bit. It's like 40 man depth. Anyway, uh, I do hopefully. not do this to be Mets. Hopefully, Jose Peraza and Jose Peraza are not playing on the same lineup. <laughs> yes. But uh he signed with the Mets in 2017 um out of Venezuela. He got a low six-figure bonus. And you know, after all these years, he may now be turning himself into uh, a legit prospect after maybe being pushed a little too hard in his career. Yeah. Um we were talking about Alvarez being short before. Jose Perez is listed at at 61220 and he's probably more like Five six two twenty. <laughs> Five, that's pretty dry. Like, you're saying they overlist them by half a foot. That's crazy. Uh, hey, uh, if 
I'm not saying that he's like Luis Santana level short, but he's not that much taller. But he has, he's he a, has a little more pop than Santana, right? Uh, yes. Raw, yeah. yeah. And he has a lot more uh, width to him too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a beefy boy. Yes, he's he's. Uh, so he's from that school of second baseman. I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, he is a a short, squat, strong dude who grew up on a farm, working the fields and uh-huh. building houses and punching horses and doing cowboy <laughs> shit. So. Oh, he should he should be a coach for the German Olympic team then. <laughs> he has a low center of gravity. He swings hard. That that swing is some loft and above average raw power. And the ability to actually make contact has kind of intermittently shown up throughout his career, which has uh-huh. been why he's not, you know, a great prospect. But um, really key for him is just hitting more line drives and hitting more stuff in the air because he's not a guy that – right now he has a, a 349 backup, which is, you know, he's not going to leg out all those <laughs> infield hits. So – just got to hit things in the air, and, and it'll give him a chance. But hey, Pablo Sandoval made it all work, so. Oh, yes. Um, another player, probably the least known of all these guys, is outfielder Eduardo Salazar. He was an IFA signed by the Mets in 2017 uh, at the DR low six-figure bonus, and through 17 games with the FCL Mets, he is hitting 308, 383, 404, with five doubles, a stolen base, and a 4-11 to walk-to-strikeout rate. And when he signed, you know, his his ability to hit for average was basically his selling tool, and so far, relative to his age and, and the league and everything, it is looking like a legit tool, as much as any, you know, 20-year-old IFA's hit tool could be legit. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the five doubles and 52 at-bats, it's nice to see, and he's kind of lean, so in the future, maybe some of those, some of that double power can turn into uh, home run power. And defensively, you know, we don't really have too much data on, on that, but the arm is said to be average at best, so he's probably a net neutral corner outfielder, better suited maybe in left field, in the long term, but right now he's playing left and right. And why not? Yeah, get him experience on both sides mm-hmm. of the corners. Um, next up is, is a catcher, Hayden Sanger. He is currently hitting 290, 361, 47, in 50 combined games with the Brooklyn Cyclones and Binghamton Rumble Ponies, most of them with Binghamton. Uh, he has five home runs on the year and a six, uh, excuse me, a 15 to 65 walk to strikeout ratio. When the Mets drafted Sanger, he was more of like a defense oriented player, but you know, obviously he's he's hitting almost 300 in Double A with a ton of doubles, uh, 17 yeah, it, in total. So his hit tool is actually pretty like there. Yeah, it is definitely like, more so than I ever expected for him. I don't think he'll be a starter, but like if your battery is Alvarez and Sanger for a while, like. That's nice, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, projecting him to be that type of, like, a few times a week backup guy who plays good defense. and could hit. I think he's more like, he'll hit for more contact and less power than, like, a Nito, who will hit for more power and less contact, but they're kind of, you know, it's kind of that type of backup catcher thing. Well, I remember we said, like, the 
second or third week of the year or whatever, like, oh, yeah, like, he's doing well, but he's not going to be able to maintain a 400 BAPIP. His BAPIP is still 400. It is 411 right now. So. Because he's hitting the ball. Like, he's yeah. just hitting the ball he's, in the gap. And, uh, he yeah. is. Right now, he has a 25.6 line drive rate, and he's hitting literally every field at basically a 32% rate. So he's literally hitting the ball, using the entire field equally, and hitting a ton of line drives. He's going to be way higher on at least my list than you would like to see because of um, he's probably a backup catcher, but also he's made a lot of legitimate strides. Mm-hmm. I think maybe one of the more exciting things is right now he has a – and again, you have to take this into you – know, it is 50 games, which is – Of course, yeah. Abbreviated. Yeah, I mean, I think the guys with the most games at this point have like 70 or so, so it's not like he's hardly playing. But anyway, um, he has a 14.5% home run to fly ball rate, which is comparable to Francisco Alvarez and Ronnie Mauricio. So that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. When he's hitting the ball in the air, it's a lot of times it's going out. But he is a guy that I don't think anyone uh, expected much from. And no. He's... Sock in the cover off it. I mean, it's 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 great that the Mets are finding these guys. It's very odd the way they're finding them. Like they drafted all these senior dudes and none of them hit, but they keep somehow turning up development successes out of nowhere. That makes it feel like, like yeah, it makes it. Feel we don't like, know what we did, but we did it. Right. <laughs> it doesn't feel particularly sustainable. Like, I'm not gonna compl- I'm not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth. Is that how that expression goes? Um, also, what's a gift horse? Um, but. Unless that is a gift? Uh, is that really it? Am I that stupid? I think it might be gimped. Gimped horse? Point being, like, I'm not gonna complain that they've kinda like fallen ass backwards into some breakouts, but it sure as hell doesn't feel like a sustainable path to, um, Long-term organizational success, shall we say? Yeah. Well, if there's one thing that, if you could sum up the Mets in a few words, it would be long-term organizational success. Oh yeah, I and mean, that's absolutely the first thing I associate with the Mets. Yep. Well, one guy that's been with the Mets long-term, prospect-wise, is our next player, right-hand pitcher Josh Walker. He currently has a 3.43 ERA in 94.1 innings, split between Brooklyn, Binghamton, and Syracuse. Uh, though his his outings with Syracuse have not been good, so maybe that's kind of it's problematic to see. But he was drafted in 2017, the 37th round. He really didn't make a name for himself until this year because he really just didn't pitch much. He barely pitched that year, you know, coming out of the draft. He split the year with Kingsport and Brooklyn in 2018, both short season leagues. And then he missed 2019 because of a car accident. And then he missed 2020 because of COVID. So yeah, really didn't get a chance to introduce himself to, to He's Mets. definitely interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he was pretty good yesterday, for what it's worth, at Syracuse. So that's uh, nice to see. He like gave up two runs over six or something like that. But he was pretty solid yesterday. That works. Yeah, so I think it was just uh, moving to a new level and seeing a little better hitters, you know? A little Um, He pitched well in Holly Brooklyn, for about a month. He was just as good as in Binghamton for two months, and and he was part of a combined no-hitter early in the year. 
And then, yeah, uh, his, his handful starts in Syracuse. He's getting acclimated to things. Um, also, he's left-handed, which is nice. Um, mm-hmm. Always nice to get a few lefty arms around. He's kind of a, a left-handed Jose Budo. Left, uh, fast, yeah. low 90s. He's a solid change-up and then a below-average curve. But obviously, he's a left-hander, so that helps. I'm, ta- I'm taking a, a minor victory lap on this one because after two – I had like – he showed up in two of my early farm reports. I'm like, this name sounds familiar, and he's playing well, but I don't remember anything. And I asked on the Miners channel if this was someone we should care about, and the overwhelming response was no. And here we are. So <laughs> you heard it. Uh, I'm ahead of the curve, you know? Um, last guy that I kind of identified as a possible 2022 guy is right-hand pitcher Calvin Ziegler. And Ziegler's right-handed pitcher, uh, obviously, he was drafted <laughs> in 2021 at the TNXL Academy in Florida, but he's actually from Canada, and he moved down from Ontario during COVID so that he could play in front of scouts and either, you know, get a, a college scholarship or get drafted. And I really have to admire his thought process here, because if you're going to transfer to any school, you might as well, you know, baseball-wise anyway, you might as well transfer to the TNXL Academy, which is legitimately, legit, it is short for the next level. <laughs> so, hell yeah. Mm. But the um, Mets drafted him in the second round, and he's still very much a work in progress, but there's plenty to like. Uh, fastball sits comfortably in the low to mid-90s. Um, the breaking ball and changeup, they both show promise. That breaking ball is still kind of in between, like a curve and a slider. Um, you know, when he gets in the groove, he kind of throws it as a more defined curve ball or slider. So, I'm sure, you know, once he, probably, I guess, like spring training next year, whatever, like, he'll sit down with the coaches and they'll figure out, like, okay, what, what is this pitch best for you? Curveball or slider. And then um, changeup doesn't really use it too much right now, but when he does, he maintains his arm speed. It has some late movement. It looks pretty solid, like a solid pitch. So the Mets have had some success with prep right-handers in, in, the, in the second round last couple of years. Josh Wolf, 2019. Um, Is there another Francisco Lindor we can trade this guy for? Hey, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Simeon Woods Richardson in 2018, but I think both of those guys are better than Ziegler, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, when you reach down, like, he's probably a third round, was a third round talent, and splitting hairs on the level of prep players between the second and third is, is uh, an exercise in futility, mm-hmm. but generally when you punt your draft to save money for other things, it doesn't go so well. Oh, why are we, we're back on this topic again. Oh, I feel like it's a recurring thing for the rest of, of like the time. year and then Until some. the end of time. Mm. He's going to be higher on people's lists than you would like because of um. Yeah. But he's also like a pretty interesting arm, so I get it. And I don't mind putting him around. Like, he's probably top 15, like Sanger is too. And that's both an indictment of the system and also, like, something to look at for both of them, you know? Yep. Definitely, definitely. Uh, obviously, we, we touched on him briefly, 
is an outfielder free agent. <laughs> Bring him home. Tim Tebow needs to come home. He needs a job. Uh, someone, someone employ Tim Tebow. I mean, you get Tebow, you get Jake Mangum, you throw him in an outfield, and this oh is the best football team that MLB <laughs> will be able to field. Please, no. And then, in addition to those guys, uh, is there anyone else that you guys can think of that I've neglected to bring up? I mean, eh, Kevin Kendall's killing the ball right now. He was the seventh, he was their seventh round pick this year, but are we gonna rate him, rank him off like 20 games or whatever it is? Um, like he's been great, like almost OPSing a thousand, but also it's the sample is <laughs> at the floor, so mm-hmm. we don't really have much to go on there. I mean, you might, we might sneak in like a JT Schwartz type, but is that really exciting? Is that you know, like I'm gonna have to rewatch baseballs to come up with uh, farm report headlines for next season if Schwartz is still around here. He better be. <laughs> I hope he be, I hope he goes on to become like the the Mike Hessman, the guys that just last forever. Forever, uh, I could see that though. Box. I could see him sticking around in the minors for a while, just because I think he'll be able to play at those levels. Just so the the Schwartz jokes can last forever. But um, yeah, just dudes like that, like kind of guys you who aren't super exciting, but because of the lack of depth, really, in them, once you get past like. 10 to 15 because I we could probably make that list rather quickly like that group of guys once you get past then it's like geez we're we're talking about some unexciting individuals here <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was the case last year but it is really really the case this year it's it is because like the I feel like the the, the top has only gotten better with Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos taking steps and Mauricio, like, sometimes taking steps and sometimes being inconsistent, but showing really insane stuff sometimes. Like, there's a lot to be be excited about, and then I'm also, like, Hayden Singer's a top 15 prospect, and I think it's, like, 15 might be conservative with where you rank him, you know, and Jalen Palmer is going to be in the top 10, and, like, you would hope that happens in a year from now when he has another year of success, not having to do it now because there's no one there, so... What a system. Kumar Rocker sure would help. Alright, so... Oh yeah, that guy. So my oh yeah, that guy is like not old at all. And I'm doing... I'm, I'm bringing him up because um, he was in the... In the news is um, an overstatement, but he was recently... There was a recent transaction involving him, but um, Dilson Herrera, who was a IFA for the Pittsburgh Pirates and traded to the Mets in 2013 for John Buck and Marlon Bird, which is a hysterical combination of people to trade for Dilson Herrera. Who was the other dude? They got? Vic Black. Yeah, they right? got Vic Black as a Vic player Black. to be named later in that trade. It was like, interesting it was, and then blew out his shoulder. And he, Yeah, he was definitely interesting. I was a huge fan of Vic Black. And I was a fan of Herrera, too. Like, I thought Herrera was going to actually... Um, be able to play. And like, it's not like he wasn't a prospect. Baseball America had him at 46 in before 2015 and Prospectus had him at 82. So there's a, there's a gap there, but also even being 82 and even is a legitimate prospect. Like, 
top 100 in baseball is even if you're 99 or 100, that's legit, especially then. Like, he was a real prospect for the Mets. And then he blew out his shoulder, and he has a career 199 batting average in, like, 100 major league games. And at only 27, his career is not over, but it's just development is not linear, and there's, like, he... He's he's one of the first guys for me that why I'm bringing him up is when I really started to pay attention to the minors as like a oh I think he's going to be really good and then he wasn't because he got hurt and there was a lot of extenuating circumstances around it and then he just never really got a chance again and he hasn't really been good enough to get a chance at some other places like he was bad this year for Toronto before he got released like a week ago so I mean also like Pete Crow Armstrong blew out his, blew out his shoulder so maybe that affects his development but also like prospects are random sometimes and sometimes bad things happen to them and you never know how they're going to respond and he's he's going to be an oh yeah that guy for i feel like a lot of people our age because like a lot of people that i know who were playing paying attention to prospects at this time he was one of the first ones who was like a guy and then he just never panned out because of injury so but yeah he was fun fun when was his first injury it was 2016, he got actually hurt, right? Something like I can't remember off the top of my head when he got hurt. Hurt. I always found this like I. On the one hand, I know I I know there are that major league teams know more than us in many instances, but on the other, we've also seen them do plenty of stupid shit. So I'm really perplexed as to what happened here, right? Because he came up in 2014, was basically a league average bat. Got mm-hmm. a slightly longer cup of coffee in 2015 and was a slightly below league average bat, but the BABIP was low and... And he was, he was young. Like, he was right. a kid. Like, it's right. not like he was... Yeah. And then his 2016 was clearly down, right? I think he had... I think he was working through that shoulder thing all year. And he was really... Like, he didn't play at all in 2017, basically. And then he got traded. He got traded from the Mets to the Reds and then Bruce Steele, which was almost Brandon Nimmo. And <laughs> yeah, like... Point point is though, like he, there was a clear recovery in his mm-hmm. stat lines in the minors, and presumably that matches up with his shoulder recovery. But no team has ever given him another shot, right? Like Cincinnati, yeah, like, Cincinnati has an excess of infielders, and they kind of have for not, or maybe we should say they have an excess of non-shortstop infielders. Um, but they gave him ninety-seven plate appearances. Like that's not enough. Uh, I, I truly don't get why you, or you, this might be the best example. The 2020 Orioles gave him six plate appearances. Who the fuck else are they playing at second base? I mean, I can literally tell you. Hanser Alberto. Um, oh, good. I mean, Alberto was like oddly good. Yeah, he had, he only he had a weird season where he hit 280 but slugged 390. So right, like right. It, was, it was one of those things. Andrew Velasquez played shortstop. Rio Ruiz played third base. Like, like more teams should swing without without going into a long discussion about the ethical or aesthetic uh, uh, considerations of tanking. The way major league teams tank now is lame as fuck. Like some, if if there there are tanking teams, one of them should be giving every post hype. Previously injured, twenty-six-year-old or former top prospect a chance, but that's and, how you win games by accident is the problem. Like, if <sighs> let's say Herrera works out, right? 
then the Orioles win five, five is a lot, but maybe they win three or four extra games. Like uh-huh. not talking about war, talking about like he like gets in three RBIs when the backup wouldn't, you know, like then they lose the first pick and get the second pick. And it's a domino effect that they don't want to do that. They want to be as bad as possible. I think there <laughs> so, are, there are ways to work around that. I like agree with you. I agree with you, but I don't think teams agree with you because that's how you don't get Adley Rushman, I guess. But also, it'll bite them if you get you get Andrew Vaughn instead. Yeah, right. Like I'd argue the marginal. This isn't basketball or football where there's typically a very obvious number one overall guy who's miles more valuable than the next guy. Adley Rushman is a better player than Andrew Vaughn. Yes, but but. You get Andrew Vaughn sec- the the val the value difference between the first and second overall pick in the average year is smaller than the gain you get from discovering a cost controlled post hype prospect is actually good. Yeah, I agree with you for sure, and I think it's just it's uncreative to me. Like, yeah. Also, like I would rather see if if he could play if a Herrera type could play at second base or third or something, you know, or DH because Jose Iglesias DH'd for them in 2020, which is I mean, hysterical. Did, did Chris but, Davis get any at-bats? Like, cut Chris Davis, and pay him his money, cut Chris Davis. he's retired play. now. Yeah, this year I think he retired, but 2020, he was, like, I mean. Hurt, I think. I think he was right, doing injury stuff then, but still, like, he wasn't on the roster taking up space from anyone. Mm. I, I just don't get it. There's, there's interesting... And valuable things you can do, and now, I mean, it really kind of destroys the tanking argument because it's much more transparently about saving money as opposed to building for the future. Because if you were, if you're actually doing everything you could for the future, you'd be making moves like this. And Herrera is just like it's it's not just Herrera. There are numbers of other these kinds of guys like this that you can find. But also, like, in 2019, he was in the Mets system again, and he hit 248, 330, 501 in AAA. Like, the 248 is low, but 330, 501 is not bad. Like, at 25 years old, I'm surprised more teams weren't like, that's interesting, let's see if it translates. And the Orioles were just like, go to the alternate site, <laughs> you know? like Yeah. And he was bad this year, for sure, for... I mean, his shoulder might be borked again. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, and maybe he goes overseas. Maybe he tries something else. Who uh, goes plays an independent ball to try to get another uh, chance? Who knows? But it just it sucks because he was a real legit prospect. Like maybe not going to be a superstar, but you don't get ranked in the top 100 if you're bad. Like there's a lot to your game if you're that good of a prospect. And he's just one of those guys that I'll. He'll be a what if dude for a lot of Met fans, I think. So, well, the team wanting to tank that way, as opposed to winning another, you know, game or two or three, that sounds like some Will Pottery to me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, what is our Will Pottery of the week? Ah, so this is—I I have a very weird set of fandoms. Uh, I'm a Met fan, obviously. No, I actually hate the Mets. I think we all hate the Mets. On yeah. You're not a fan unless you hate them, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, weirdly, I'm a very casual football fan, but in the past, I've rooted for the Patriots. Yes, yes, boo me, boo, oh. boo, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I'm also a fan of the Philadelphia 76ers. Because uh, when I was first getting interested in basketball, they were doing the whole process, and I thought that was interesting. So now I'm a fan of the Sixers, and unfortunately I find myself having become a fan of a team whose owner is basically the basketball equivalent of Jeff Wilpon. Uh, so uh, their their owner, Jeff Harris, is a multi-billionaire who is a cheap fuck, and uh, just yesterday they fired half their scouting department and a long-time president of, uh, of like, operations uh, in order to save money. On and top of that, during the pandemic, uh, Joel Embiid, their superstar, paid the staff's salary instead of, again, the multi-billionaire who owns the team. And he was, like, paid then, but he wasn't – he didn't get paid till now. So Yes, yes. I mean, Embiid just got his Supermax whatever contract. We don't need to talk about NBA contract structures. The point is, Josh Harris sucks, and uh, <laughs> I wish he didn't. Yeah, they had, like, they also gave up on the process a little too fast. Like, they kind of, like, went in the opposite direction really quickly, and then here they are. It's just Embiid, and, like, Simmons doesn't get along with him on the court, and now they kind of got to figure out what to do with that. And That was part, partially the league's fault, I'd say. Like, they forced Jerry Colangelo on them, but, yeah, you're not wrong. So It was, it was like, a lot of weird stuff, and then, like, this offseason was, like, Andre Drummond and Joel. Andre Drummond. They don't like each other either. And, like, here we are. Now he's his backup. Like, what are you doing? Especially with someone as good as Embiid. Like, and he wants to. The Will Pottery here is definitely firing staff to save costs when you're a mega billionaire or whatever it is Josh Harris is. How Mets in. Except they're not mega billionaires. They just want to be. That definitely is Will Pawnee. His, his net worth is $5.3 billion. Yeah. 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 Alright, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexthequeens at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvahus343. Ken is at Ken1191. Thomas is at SadMetSeason, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast or review your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.